Well, you guys can be seated. And uh, may have may have seen a new face. Jerry was playing bass with us this morning. He did awesome, right? Man, those those Craigslist uh, ads we put out are really working, Casey. It's really going good. <laughs> It's funny, whenever, like, one of the band members are gone or something, everybody's like, I know a guy, you know. Everybody knows a guy, you know. I know a guy. Yeah, don't worry, I know a guy. Or if we need something fixed in the church, we need something. I I know a guy. Okay. That's scary. That's how the building got here in the first place, is somebody knew a guy, and they came and fixed it, and now they're going to fix it 10 years later, you know. Anyway. Um... Well, if you're just joining us today, uh, we're kind of at the tail end of a series. We usually do like sermon series for for four to six weeks. And uh, we've been talking about anxiety. We've been talking about having fears and having worries and stuff. And uh, you're you're at the tail end of it, but we're going to get you caught up. And if you need to get caught up, all of our messages are on YouTube and Spotify and podcasts and Apple and all that stuff. So you can go find it. But we've been talking about anxiety. And, you know, I I think we all know that this is true. It's human nature. It's human nature. Put it on the screen. It's human nature. (laughs) To avoid things we don't like, right? It's human nature to avoid things we don't like. Like like eating vegetables, right? Or working out. Or avoiding people who eat vegetables and work out. You know, I mean, these are all things that, like, we avoid. We don't want to... There's just some things we just don't want to do. We, we don't want to go through. We just, ah, I'm going to put that off. I'm going to put that off. I'm going to put that off. And, and today is one of those conversations, Okay? Today's one of those conversations that like on the way home, like especially if, if you're new, but especially if you've been here for a long time, you're going to be like, that's it. Uh, I'm, I'm going to North Road next week. Uh, this is, this is not, this is, uh, that was too much. I don't know. But here's what I want you to hear me say. Okay. I, I want you to not shoot the messenger. Okay. Because these are not my words. All right. I didn't write this. These are not my words. These are not my thoughts. This is from somebody else. And so don't shoot the messenger, but we have to have this conversation. I saved this for the end of the series on purpose so that you'd come back for all the other parts, because you've got to understand this part, because this part answers a very, very important question. And the question is, what do we do when there's nothing we can do? Because we all, are, we all find ourselves in, in, in that place in life. Well, there's nothing we can do. I mean, I lost my job. What can I do? I mean, we, we, the doctor called. This is the situation. What do I do? What do you do when you're just in that season of life where you're, you're uncomfortable? Things are uncertain. I mean, you take our graduates, uh, for instance. I mean, they're young adults now. For, for 18 years, you guys have been told what you're supposed to do. And now it's up to you. What do you do? I don't know. Some things are going to be in your control. Some things aren't going to be in your control. What do you do when just life happens? When a pipe bursts or the sewer backs up, and your, your, your basement floods, your, your therapist cancels on you and says, I'm taking another job and you've, you've lost some stability in your life. What do you do when you're just in that new season of life where you're a newlywed or you just found out you're pregnant and that wasn't planned? Or you know, you're going through life and all of a sudden you, you're just in this new situation. You, what do I do? What do I do when there's nothing we can do? And I don't know about you, but man, that's when my anxiety really starts to turn on. I mean, that's when my anxiety really starts to, because I want to know, I want to know, and I want to, I want to be able to do something. I want to be able to fix this. And the answer to that question, here's how it's going to come off. Spoiler alert. It's going to come off as passive and insensitive. 
And again, it's not my answer. Somebody else's answer. But it's going to come off as passive and insensitive. Because when you hear the answer to this question, you're going to go, it's so easy for you to say that, but you don't know my story. If you knew my story, I think you'd be a little bit more sensitive to it. If you knew what I was going through, if you knew my story, you wouldn't make it as, as simple, as black, as white, as you just put it. And that may be true. But again, don't shoot the messenger, because it's not my answer. The answer, the person who's going to tell us the answer to this question is a guy by the name of James. Now, there's a lot of Jameses in the Bible. And so you may be a little confused because there's actually of Jesus and his 12 disciples. There was a disciple named James. And so when you flip open your Bible and you go to the New Testament, there's a book of the Bible, a letter by a man written by James. And you go, is that the same guy? No, that's actually not one of the disciples. This is James, the brother of Jesus. And what you may not know about James, the brother of Jesus, is that he was not a Jesus follower before the crucifixion and resurrection. Actually, he thought his brother was out of his mind. There's a certain part in the the book of uh, uh, Mark that we went through um, just recently, where actually um, James and the mother of Jesus and several other siblings that he had, they showed up to take Jesus away because Jesus was out. They said he is out of his mind. He doesn't know what he's talking about. Because Jesus was making these crazy claims that he was the son of God. He was going around telling everybody, I am the son of God and and I'm basically God in human form on earth. And even Jesus's mother and brothers were like, this boy has lost his mind. I grew up with him. Let me tell you, that kid farts like everybody else. There's no way that that is the son of God. I have seen that man wet his bed. There's no way that that is the son of God. We're going to take him away. We're going to put him in the loony bin because there's no, no way. But then what we find is, is past the crucifixion and past the resurrection, All of a sudden, James is a follower of Jesus and claims to be a Christian. And he also claims that his brother is the son of God. Now, for those of you who have siblings, what would it take for you to claim that your sibling was not only better than you, but literally God in human form? I mean, I have a sister and there's nothing, nothing short of watching her die And then be raised back to life three days later. Now, if I saw that, then I'd be like, oh, yep, for sure. Then you must be the son or daughter of God. And that's exactly what James went through. He thought his brother was crazy and he denied and he denied and he denied. But then when he saw publicly his brother be crucified on the cross, obviously dead, put into a tomb, dead as a doornail. And then three days later saw him alive. Well, he was convinced then yes, absolutely. My brother's claims were accurate. He is the son of God. Now, what happens next is as the disciples start to kind of take their post and plant churches and go spread the word, James actually stays in Jerusalem and, ha- and takes over the, the Christian church or the, the church of followers of Jesus in Jerusalem, which you might think, wow, what a privilege, what an honor. Because if you know anything about Jerusalem, I mean, it was the epicenter, right? It was the, it was headquarters for Judaism and a lot of the, the stories that we read and a lot of Jesus's ministry. So, I mean, it's like, it's like, wow, you got like the capital church, but here's what you may not realize is that remember it was the Jews who killed Jesus. Okay. So they weren't really for the Christians and they weren't for those who claimed to be followers of Jesus. 
So actually, James gets put in charge of the church of Jerusalem, but they're all, all the Christians are considered blasphemers. They actually disown all of the Jews who claim to now follow Jesus. They disown them, they cut them off from support, and then they told them that they couldn't visit the temple anymore to worship or to pray. And even the poor, the poor that claim to follow Jesus, they cut them off from financial assistance. So James was actually in a very, very bad predicament. It got so bad that the Apostle Paul, as he goes around the Mediterranean and starts to plant churches with Gentiles, which a Gentile is just a word that means not Jews, he started to plant churches and he started to take offerings in collections and raise money to send back to James and the church of Jerusalem because they were so caught off from support that their families and their poor were starting to suffer and starve. So he's literally sending back offerings to them to try to keep them afloat. So when James writes this letter, I say all that to say that James writes this letter and although it seems passive and insensitive, he's writing it to a community that is very heavily burdened, who's going through some very difficult trials and whose life is not easy at the moment. So this is what he says. He says, I, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. So there it is. He goes, believe it or not, I didn't believe it before, but yes, my brother is my Lord. And to the 12 tribes scattered among the nations, greetings. So he's writing all of these different people that he pastors to, all of these people who are going through this trial. He's, they need a word. They need encouragement. And so this is Brother James's encouragement to them. He says, whenever, whenever you face trials of many kinds, and that word face in the Greek, that word means when you are surprised or when you're robbed of. So he's saying, whenever you are suddenly surprised by trials of many, many kinds, whenever you are surprised, he says this next, consider, consider it. He's already starting to lead us there. He's like, all right, so you know when you're surprised by trials in life and something pops up and there's nothing, nothing you can really do and you're wondering what in the world can I do? He says, just consider. And when he says consider, what he's saying is, I, I want you to adjust and reframe. Adjust and reframe. Because how many times when we're surprised by something, whenever we come, all of a sudden come into the face of a trial, all of a sudden our perspective kind of narrows in, right? We had a very broad idea. We had, we had, we had a large frame, a different frame of mind. We were able to see the whole picture, but now there's a problem. We zero in. We can become very, very narrowly focused on what we're up against. He says, I need you to consider. I need you to adjust and reframe, adjust and reframe just for a moment. And then he says this, I want you to consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters. Now, see what I'm saying? Passive and insensitive, passive and insensitive. Whenever you face trials of many kinds, what do, what do I do? What, for just a moment, consider it pure joy. James, are you out of your ever loving mind? Do you, boy, you don't even know my story. You don't even know what happened. You don't even know the trial that I'm up against. Don't you dare tell me that I should consider it pure joy. Again, I'm not saying it James in. All right. So if you send me an email and you're like, that was the worst. I'm like, yes, I totally agree. James sucks. Right. But this is what James says. He says, consider it pure joy. Now, hang on just a second. Why would we ever consider it pure joy? He says this because, you know, you know. And when he says, because, you know, 
A lot of us, we know, but we lose sight of it, right? When we're in the middle of a trial and we come up against something, we lose sight of what we were able to see before the trial. As a matter of fact, if you watch somebody else go through it, you can see it clear as day, right? When you watch somebody else go through a trial, you're like, it's very obvious like what they need to do. It's very obvious that it's going to be okay. Why is it not obvious to them? Because you lose sight. Because when you're surprised, when you face a trial, you get very narrowly focused. But he says, he says, you know this, you just have to adjust and reframe. He says, you know that the testing of your faith, go back and let me read, read the rest of that. Because you know that the testing of your faith. Here's what James is trying to tell us. He's trying to tell us when you go through trials, when you face trials in life, you've got to adjust reframe and refocus for just a minute because in that moment there is a testing of your faith now i don't know your church experience i don't know what you heard about faith or what you thought faith is but faith is just confidence in god that's what your faith is your faith is your confidence in god and james says something amazing happens. I don't want you to consider it pure joy that you're going through something hard, but in the midst of all this is an opportunity because in the midst of this, your faith is going to be tested and you're going to know how genuine your faith really is. Another way to put it is this, these trials expose the authenticity of our faith or our confidence in God. And again, you know this, just like James says, you know this, you know that when life is good, you're good. And when life is good, you have all the confidence in the world, right? You can come to church and you can sing those songs. Holy, holy, yeah, things are good, almighty, right? But then a trial happens and you're surprised and you're cut off and things happen all of a sudden. And then James says, then, then you truly find out where your faith really is. Because all of a sudden, all those things that you said you believed, you're going to find out if you really believe them. All of a sudden, the things that you grew up hearing and you said you trusted, you're going to find out if you really trust them. You're going to find out what was real and what was genuine, what was fake. You're going to find your weak points. James says, here's why I want you to consider it pure joy. Although this is going to be hard, although nobody would wish this upon themselves, in the midst of this will be a testing of your faith that will expose the genuineness of your faith. And you'll find out something about yourself that you could not have found out otherwise. Uh, Last year, I had a revelation about myself. Last year, I was one day picking up my son, Braden, from William Capital Elementary, and he's walking out, and he's limping. I just, I cannot describe it any other way other than he looked like Forrest Gump. I mean, he just comes, and I'm, like, looking at him, and he's, he's talking fine. He's acting normal, but he's, he's definitely walking like Forrest Gump. And I'm like, son, what's wrong, you know? Uh, what's going on with you? And he's like, I don't know. I'm like, okay. And so that night we go to CrossFit and uh, my friend Nate, who's a chiropractor in uh, Winsville, he's there doing class two. And I go, Nate, look at him. So Nate has him run from one side of the gym to the other. And he goes, yeah, something's definitely off. You need to, you need to bring him in. So next day we go to Nate's chiropractic office 
And uh, we, he looks at him and he's turning his hip and stuff. And he goes, well, Michael, he goes, you definitely need to go take him to an orthopedic. I said, whoa, 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 like an orthopedic? What are you talking about? He goes, well, I don't know exactly what's going on, but something, something's definitely wrong. And he said, I don't know. I got some ideas about what it could be, but something's not right in there. And he said, you know, it could be this or it could be that. And he goes, it could be Paris disease. And I said, Paris disease, which, you know, at that point, you know, welcome to another episode of an anxious person on Google, right? So, Paris disease, what is that? And he goes, oh, you just, you need to call. You probably ought to call today. You probably ought to get in and stuff as soon as you can. So I even called his, his pediatrician and I was like, hey, this is what's going on. They're like, you need to go see an orthopedic as soon as you can. And I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa. So, of course, I get on my smartphone and I'm Googling Paris disease. And it's this condition in, in kids where blood flow will stop to the hip joint. And all of a sudden, the, the, the hip will collapse, and it'll, it'll lose blood flow. And all of a sudden, it leads to all this different stuff. And so that was maybe what was causing the limp. We didn't know. And so, you know, again, I'm like, okay, well, Paris disease, how do you fix that? Blah, 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 blah. And so I'm looking through, and I start to see could lead to the need for surgery, could lead to being in a wheelchair, could lead to being in an, two legs and an A-frame cast and all of this stuff. And I'm going, what? What in the world? So a couple days later, we call and we, we get right into uh, an orthopedic. And so Kate and I and Braden, we go spend the day down at, at the orthopedic office. And they're doing all these scans and these tests of them. And they're having them walk. And, you know, again, as an anxious person, I've already been anxious for a couple days. Like, what parents? I've never heard of this. And, you know, poss- possibility of my son being in a wheelchair and, or an A-frame cast and all this stuff. I'm going, what in the world's going to happen? So we go, and the orthopedic doctor comes in and goes, well, it's either one of two things. It's, it definitely could be Paris disease. Or, you know, the other thing is, has he recently been sick? And I was like, hey. Like had like a little cold a couple weeks ago. And they're like, well, it could be inflammation in his hip from a virus. So the, she said the prescription is the same. Two weeks, zero activity. Two weeks. We can't have him do anything. He, he needs to stay off his feet as much as he can. He can't do gymnastics anymore. He can't play at recess. He can't do gym. Just, you know, you can't do any of that stuff. And so you, you just got to get him off his feet and, and rest him up for two weeks. So we go home. And we cancel gymnastics and we write the doctor a note or the, the school teacher a note says he can't help in recess and he can't do anything in gym and any of this stuff. And uh, we're basically carrying him around like tiny Tim, you know. I mean, if he needs to go to the bathroom or anything, I'm just carrying him over my shoulder, you know, as much as I can just to try to get him. And, you know, I, try to keep a five-year-old still, right? I mean, it's the hardest thing in the world. And so he's still going to school and he's coming home and he's telling me these sad stories. I'm like, hey, how was school today? He said, recess. Uh, All I could do was sit under the tree by myself, you know. And so everybody was playing during recess and I just sat under the tree, dad. And Jim, I just sat on the bleachers. And again, we're just waiting, which, yeah, for a person who's full of anxiety like me, I mean, just waiting is the worst, right? But during this time of waiting, and I'm anxious filled. I start to, you know, obviously I want prayer and I want support from, from my friends and from my gym and from my church and stuff. So I'm telling people about it. And all these people are, that I never knew had dealt with Paris disease or, 
you know, sending me text messages. Courtney Monteith's brother had Paris disease. And she said, yeah, my brother had that. I'll never forget the vacation we had where he was in a wheelchair and in this A-frame cast thing. But, hey, I want you to know it gets better. For some reason, eventually, by the time they're an adult, blood flow returns to the hip and they end up having a, a normal life. And I, so I met all kinds of people. Oh, yeah, I had a friend who had Paris disease. I even met a girl. I, she said, I had Paris disease. And you know I played competitive softball. So now we're starting to frame this thing. And I'm starting to understand that even if he does have Paris disease, which we don't know if he does, but even if he does, like it's going to be okay. But again, I'm a person, very anxious person. Do you think that gave me any comfort at all? Absolutely not. I mean, honestly, people who kept telling me, well, it's going to be okay. I almost started to get ticked off. I'm like, shut up. (laughs) It may be, but that doesn't help me right now. Because now I'm in this time of waiting. Now I'm in this time of figuring out if my son does have Paris disease or not. And so I've told you, like I've, I've been on a journey with a counselor and a therapist. So in the midst of this, I, I got to go see my, my counselor and my therapist. And so I go tell him what's going on. And of course, I got other things going on in my family and in my life and everything else. And it's just kind of coming to a boiling point. And I'm telling him about everything. And we're starting to talk. And he goes, well, let's, let's frame this thing just a little bit. I mean, you know, we talked about this last week. We talked about how a lot of times we fear the unknown, but really the truth is not much is unknown because either what, either, either it'll be fine and what we fear won't even become a reality or what what we're fearing coming, it will come, but it will work out. We will get through it. It will just be tough for a time, but it will work out or we'll live on. Right. And so my counselor, he's like, well, I mean, let's kind of frame this thing. I mean, let's say it is Paris disease. Let's take it to the worst case scenario. What, what will happen? And I'm like, well, if he has Paris disease, you know, I mean, it's going to be tough, but, but it, it, it will work out. But, 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 but I'm thinking about all these things, you know, I'm thinking about like, well, what is our, what do our vacations look like from here? What is, what is my, my son just started school? What does elementary school look like for him? Is he going to be in a wheelchair? Is he going to be in this A-frame cast for how long? Is he going to be able to do sports? Is that going to defect, affect him socially and all this stuff? And so I just, and he says, yeah, but you know, it's going to like work out. I mean, you know that he's, he's not going to die. It's going to be okay. You're, you're going to get through this. And I told him, I said, yeah, but I just, I don't like that answer. I don't like that answer, doc. And and I just want to know, I just want to know what it is. I just want to know what it is. I just, I want to know what I need to do. And he goes, you know, Michael, he says, I don't really think you're afraid of what's going to happen to your son. He said, I don't really think you're afraid of what's going to happen next. I said, well, what do you mean? He goes, just, just listen to me for a minute. And again, This is my counselor to me. I'm not talking to you. This is a Michael story. This isn't a you story. But my counselor looks at me and he goes, you know, the thing is, Michael, is you're a person of anxiety. And when it's good, when it's used in the right way, you're able to project into the future. You're able to plan. You're meticulous. You're able to control things. And you just have this ability to kind of, you know, plan and create things and stuff. And God's kind of giving you this attribute. And and when it's used in the right way, it's very, very good. But, you know, the thing is, is that with that attribute that you have, you're really used to being in control. And you're really used to making plans and getting your way. And doing what you want to do. And he said, you know, in the midst of this, you know, it's going to be okay. You know that your son's going to be all right. But he said, I think what you're really worried about 
is that you didn't plan this and you can't control this. And you're more concerned about how this is going to screw up your plans. And you're more concerned about how this is going to make your life uncomfortable and you can't do anything about it. And you're really used to getting your way and doing and and being in control, right? I said, excuse me? (laughs) He said, let me put it this way. He says, it's very simple. He says, when things don't go the way you want and when you are in control, you get upset. He said, at the core of your anxiety... For you, it's not, a, it's, not a brain, it's not a chemical imbalance. It's not anything like that. For you, it's that you're so used to getting your way and being in control and being able to manipulate things that, honestly, it's given you so much, somewhat of a God complex. And when life throws you things that you can't control and you don't get your way and your plans get ruined, that's what really gets you upset. And so you're not really anxious right now and you don't really want to get to the bottom of this because you want to get it you know because you're worried about your son you just want to get this figured out to see if your plans are ruined or not i'm like shut up (laughs) but you know i listened to him and i thought about that really long and hard and and you know again i don't go see a christian therapist I just go to a therapist therapist, but he's real good at using my own religion against me. (laughs) But I went home and I thought about it and I thought, you know what? At at the root of what he's talking about, he's very right. I am. I, when I use this superpower of mine, I I'm in control. I'm in charge. I take charge. I get what I want. I make my plans. I create experiences and stuff. And when something throws a wrench in my plans or the way I want them to go, that is when I get upset. And do you know at a spiritual level what that's called? That's called pride. Because I'm so used to being in control and things going my way and doing what I want. That what ends up happening is that when I don't get what I want... When my God complex gets challenged and I'm reminded that I'm not God, I get upset. And that is a spiritual issue, not a mental health issue. Now, again, I'm talking to me. I'm not talking to you. But maybe some of you who are like me, at the root, at the core, maybe that's what's going on with you, too. It's an issue with pride. Now, that's me. And here's the thing. I discovered that about myself through this trial with Brayden. By the way, for those of you who don't know, who haven't gone here long enough, Brayden did not have Paris disease. It ended up from whatever virus he had. It was just inflammation in his hip. And two weeks later, he was fine. He's returned to all of his activities. He, and I always watch. And sometimes I'll see like a little thing that looks maybe like a limp or something like that. And I'll wonder... But then also I'm just reminded that that is my pride. What I'm worried about, what I'm concerned about is my plans and my vacations and the things I want to see happen and the things I want for my son. So to catch us up, James, he says this, whenever you face trials of many kinds, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters. How in the world could I do that? Because, because you know 
Because you know that the testing of your faith, and he says it produces something. You know that the testing of your faith, it exposes the genuineness of your faith. For some of us, it exposes a weak point. For me, it exposed, oh my goodness, I have an issue with pride. And that was something I had to repent of and turn over to God and say, oh my goodness, God, I am so, so sorry. I'm so sorry that I... I used this gift you gave me and it developed this God complex in me that I, I, I had to have my way. I had to always be in control. But this has reminded me that I'm not always in control and I have to stop being so prideful. And James says this produces something in us. And he says it produces perseverance. Do you know what perseverance is? It's the, it's the ability to withstand It's the ability to stay in the fight. And here's the thing about perseverance. Nobody is born with perseverance. Nobody is born with perseverance. It's not, it's not given to you. It's not, oh God, give me perseverance. And he like beams it on you or anything like that. There's no magical pill you can take to get perseverance. Do you know how perseverance is brought about? How it's produced? It's just like a muscle. Okay. It's like going to the gym. That muscle, that muscle has to be stretched. That muscle has to be under tension in order for it to grow. We got some pretty muscular people in the room. We got like 18 CrossFitters in here, okay? Y'all all know, we all know, that wasn't produced through overnight, was it? It was produced through time over time over time of resistance added, of tension added, of strain added to it until that thing is stretched to capacity and then is allowed to recover. And personal Perseverance is the same way. He goes, man, if you, I want you to consider this pure joy because in the midst of this test is an opportunity to produce perseverance. And then he says this. So here's the thing. Let perseverance finish its work. You know what he's saying? He's saying in the midst of this, you got to let perseverance finish its work. What he's saying is don't leave the gym early. Anybody who ever kickstarts with my gym, I tell them, now look, this is going to be really, really tough, but you got to give it at least three months. You got, you got to stick with it. You got to give it at least three months because this is going to be tough. This is going to be hard, but you got to allow the process to go. You got to let that perseverance work its way through you. You got to stay in there and trust me. Then you're going to start to enjoy it. Then you're going to start to feel less sore. Then it's going to get easier, but you got to stick with it. And here's the thing. So many times when we face trials in life, we're immediately like, God, get me out of this, Right? God, help me out. Where, where's the exit door? Lord, Lord, let, let there be good news. I can't wait two weeks to find out if he has Paris disease or not. Like, I need to know now. I need the solutions. I need to work this. Show me what I've got to do because I can fix this. I can do this. And then there's things in life where God looks at us and goes, but you can't. You have such a God complex that you think you can control this. You think you can manipulate this. You think you can do something, but you can't. You've got to stick with me. You've got to let perseverance do this work. You've got to have some serious conversations with me and figure out at the core what is really, really going on here. So, Because there is so much more than meets the eye. He says, look, you've got to let perseverance finish its work. The thing is, is so many times, the thing we want removed is the thing God has chosen to use. I've said this many times. I'll say this so many times because there's always new people. I do not believe everything happens for a reason. That's bad theology. Not everything happens for a reason. That makes God seem cruel 
because that means God is behind everything. And God doesn't use things like cancer and, 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 and school shootings and stuff. God doesn't use sin to get what he wants. That's not true. Not everything happens for a reason. However, everything that we go through that life throws at us for unexplainable reasons, God can choose to use it to help us grow. And so many times the things we want removed is the thing God has chosen to use. Another way to put it is this, is that the tension in your life, the tension in your life right now is the epicenter of God's activity in your life. Because God knows that when things are good in your life, very rarely do you call on him. Very rarely do you pray. Very rarely do you need anything from him. But all of a sudden, something surprises you and you face a trial in your life and God goes, man, I didn't cause this, but I can use this. I can use this to not only draw you closer to me, but I can, I can use this to help you grow. And that's exactly what James says. He goes, so let perseverance finish its work so that you can be mature and complete, not lacking anything. I want to make you mature. I want to make you complete. I want to help you grow. How can God do that? I'm going to use this. I'm going to use this to help you grow. I'm going to help this. You know, we talked about last week how God is outside of time. You know, there are some things that God knows are coming up in your life. Seasons of difficulty, bad news, things you don't even know about. And sometimes he looks at these small little battles, these small little workouts ahead of the big one and goes, you know what? I'm going to use this to get you ready because something's ahead that you don't even know. Might be another pandemic, might be a world war, might be something personal just to your family, to your life, to your health. And God goes, I got to use this. So I think so many times, I mean, God, God didn't use this or God didn't do this, but he can use this to get you ready, to get you ready for what's ahead. Kate and I were talking about this during Mother's Day last week. We were just talking about motherhood and being a mother and recalling, you know, when she was pregnant with our two kids and stuff. And she said, you know, it's just, it's crazy. Like I remember whenever I was pregnant, how uncomfortable I was, but she said, I think God kind of designed being pregnant that way because when that baby's born, it's way more uncomfortable. (laughs) Like, because then they can talk and run from you and they're not attached to your belly. And there's all kinds of new interesting challenges. But you know, I think God designed that. I think part of that uncom- discomfort is to build a resilience in you because, man, you think you're sleep deprived. You think you're uncomfortable now. You just wait. She goes, I think that, that God designed that to like get me ready for motherhood. Because, boy, is it a challenge now. And I think he's using these challenges now when they're in school to get me ready for when they're a teenager. Because that's just coming up ahead and stuff. And I think she's so right. I think there's so many things in life that happen that God's going, look, I didn't do this. I'm not behind this. But if you let me, I can use this to mature you, to help you grow, to get you to the point where you, he says, I can get you to the point where you, you lack nothing. And then he says this. So, if any of you lacks wisdom, which for you today, you may be brand new to church, may be brand new to faith. You're in the midst of a trial or something's going on right now that you're anxious about, that you're worried about, that you're fearful about. And you're like, man, I don't understand any of this. I feel lost. We're just, we're going through something right now and there are no easy answers. James goes, I completely understand. 
So here's the deal. If you lack wisdom, if you feel stuck, if you don't know what to do, he says, you should do this. You should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault. And it will be given to you. He says, if you're feeling lost right now, if you're in the middle of a trial, if you're waiting for news, if you're waiting for the doctor's report, if you don't know what's going to happen next, if you're struggling, well, here's the thing. You can ask your God. Here's the good news. You have something to pray about. (laughs) And he makes a promise. Very bold promise. Very bold claim. He says, if you ask God, he will give generously to you without finding fault. Meaning, he, he, he will not be mad at you. He will not challenge you. He will not say, there, is no, there are no stupid questions. He says, you pray to God and ask him for wisdom and he will gladly give it to you without any fault. So I want to give you a, a, a prayer to pray. And the prayer is this. God, give me wisdom to see as you see. God, give me wisdom to see as you see. Because here's the thing. If, if we could just see things the way that God does, how much more inclined would we, do, would we be to do what he says? If I could see people the way God sees people, I would be able to, I would treat them probably the way that God sees them. So God, give me wisdom. Help me to see as you see. Help me. I've become so narrow focused on this. Help me to see the big picture. Help me to see the broad picture. And then he says this. He said, blessed. Blessed is the one who perseveres under trial. Because having stood the test, having gone through the faith test, having understood the genuineness now of your, your faith, now that you know truly where you are, you said you believe this and you said you're, you're here in your faith, but now you really know you've found something out about yourself that you wouldn't have found out any other way. And you have found your weaknesses. Well, guess what? Here's the thing. Now you and God can go to work and you're blessed for that. God didn't do this to you, but he can use this to you to produce that perseverance in you under that trial. And then he says this, he says, having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. And do you know what the crown of life is? Me either. (laughs) Got no clue. A lot of people probably have made up a lot of things of what it means, but I ain't going to make anything up. I got no clue what the crown of life is. But it sounds really cool, doesn't it? Sounds good. Sounds like something worth fighting for. So let me tell you something. As you go through trials right now, and as you go through trials ahead, I know the first thing you want to do is find the exit and plow through that door and run. But if you will allow God to do something in the midst of this, what you will find out, you will find the genuineness of your faith and you will also find the goodness of God. Because on the other side of this, through this, you will be more mature. You will not lack anything. You will grow as a mother, as a father, 
as an employee, as a man, as a woman, as a son, as a daughter, as a leader. And you will experience the goodness of God in a way that you couldn't possibly experience Him otherwise. So our prayer for today is this. Heavenly Father, use this until you choose to remove this. Use this until you choose to remove this. As we talked about in week one, I must embrace my inability in order to experience God's ability. So Heavenly Father, use this until you choose to remove this. Help me to stay in the fight. Help me to stay. Help me not to leave the gym early. Help this grow me and develop and produce in me the perseverance I need now and for what's ahead. And let me tell you something. If you would do that, you will find yourself in a place where whatever trial or whatever you're up against or whatever challenge you find yourself in, you will be able to look at it and say, you know what? This is hard. This is tough. This is scary. But in my soul, it is well. It is well. It is well. It is well. And though this was meant to destroy me, and Satan would like nothing more than that, I will persevere. I will overcome. I will make it another round, and I will win. Because of who I know who has me, and who my confidence is in, my Heavenly Father. Will you stand with us as we continue to worship this morning?